I read every book on the topic and I'll tell you that probably 99% of the time, uh, when I do that, problem solved. If you don't understand what discomfort you are trying to escape, you're gonna find distraction somewhere. And that is what is coming up on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. So stay tuned. Now, here are two powerful words to change your life. What if? What if you do have what it takes? What if you can design your life? What if your crazy dreams do come true? You are here because you have a dream. You have a fire in your belly. You want to change the world and you want to lead the charge in the post-socially distant era. The big question is this, how can ambitious people like us build our dream lives? This podcast gives you the answers. We have created the perfect community of the world's best minds who want to get things done. Survive and thrive in this uncertain world. Join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal, and today we'll be talking with Nir Eyal. So Nir writes, consults, and teaches about in the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. Nir previously taught as a lecturer in marketing at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. Nir co-founded and sold two tech companies since 2003, and was dubbed by the MIT Technology Review as the prophet of habit-forming technology. He's the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Indistractable received critical acclaim, winning outstanding works of literature, uh, literature OWL award, as well as being named one of the best business and leadership books of the year by Amazon, and one of the best personal development books of the year by Audible. The Globe and Mail called Indestructible the best business book of 2019. In addition to blogging at nearandfire.com, near, um, uh, Near's writing has been featured in New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. Near is also an active investor in habit-forming technologies. Some of his past investments include Eventbrite, Anchor.fm, which was acquired by Spotify, Canva, Refresh.io, which was acquired by LinkedIn, uh, Product Hunt, Marco Polo, Presence Learning, Seven Cups, and many more. Nier has attended uh, Stanford Graduate School of Business and Emory University. Welcome, Nier. Thank you. Great to be here with you. Yeah, you are uh, you're here with us second time, and uh, the first conversation was awesome, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be even better. Um, so... Uh, tell us a little bit about your new book, Indistractable, and uh, how did it come about, and uh, what, what is the theme of this book? Sure. So Indistractable is really about the struggle that I personally had with doing whatever it is I said I was going to do. Uh, there was one seminal moment in my life that really made me reevaluate my relationship with distraction, and this came when I was with my daughter one afternoon. And we had this beautiful day planned. We had this afternoon of uh, just quality daddy-daughter daddy time together. And I remember that we had this book of activities that we could do together, you know, fold an origami crane and a Sudoku puzzle and, you know, paper airplanes, all kinds of things we could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question, that if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment, 
I, for some reason, decided to check my phone and see what was happening. And I don't even remember what I was looking at my phone for. But then I do remember that when I looked up from my device, she was gone. She got the message that I was sending that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she left the room to go play with some toy outside. And if I'm honest with you, it didn't just happen with her. It would happen when I was uh, at my desk at work. And I would say I was going to work on a big project. And yet somehow 20, 30, 40 minutes later, I was doing everything but that project I said I was going to work on that morning. It would happen when I would say I was going to work out and exercise, but I wouldn't. It would happen when I would say I was definitely going to eat right today. And I didn't. And so I, I asked myself, you know, if I could have any superpower, boy, I would just want the power to follow through on the things I know I should do and stop doing the things I shouldn't do. Right. Because I think we all basically know these days what we're supposed to do, right? Who doesn't know that if you want to uh, get healthier, if you want to lose weight, you have to eat right and exercise. Does anybody not know that? Do we really need to buy more diet books to tell us that? No, we know what to do. Who doesn't know that yeah. a chocolate cake is not as healthy as a healthy salad? Yeah. Uh, who doesn't know that if you want better relationships, you have to be fully present with people? Who doesn't know that if you want to do better at your job, you have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do? We know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, for God's sakes, just Google it. All the answers are out there. The problem is no longer that we don't know what to do. The problem is we don't know how to stop getting in our own way. We don't know how to stop getting distracted. And so when I looked for books on how do I stop getting distracted, how do I make sure I do what I say I'm going to do? How do I live with personal integrity? I read every book on the topic and they all sucked. They were horrible. They were not research-based. They were full of tips and tricks that worked for this guru or the next guru, and they weren't based on actual psychology research. Or worse yet, they told people things like, just get rid of your cell phone. Stop using social media. Stop using technology. Technology is broadening your brain. Well, that's not very practical, and it's silly because we can get the best out of these tools without letting them get the best of us. So I tried everything those books told me, still didn't work. I still got distracted. And so I said, you know what, this is something that I really want to figure out for myself. And so I spent the next five years diving into the psychology of why we get distraction and final, finally figured out how we can become indistractable, how we can have this superpower to do whatever it is we say we're going to do with our time, with our attention and with our life. That's amazing. And, you know, one of the things I like about you as an author, you, you know, as you said, like a lot of books are based on personal experience and, and what worked for them, but you really dive deep and you, you know, you do a, a very thorough research on every topic that you undertake. So tell us about that. Like, you know, how do you come up with that process? How, how do you like, I mean, how do you even start researching this? If, if, you, if, you, if nobody has done a good enough job of doing this, you're breaking new ground. How do you go about doing all this? Well, you know, every book for me starts with uh, a personal problem. <laughs> it's like that old saying that research is me search. And that's why I love my job, because my job is to, you know, be a professional learner uh, and maybe a translator, uh, because what I do is I, I look to great academic research that's been done. There's more research than we could ever read. The problem is that most research out there is just read by a couple people, right? It's read by some thesis advisor <laughs> to give someone their PhD. And nobody actually reads many of these studies or just a few people. And so what I wanted to do was to translate uh, the good research out there and, and, and comb it down from the 
the, the, the tremendous amount that's already out there. Sort out what matters, what doesn't matter. Sort out the crappy studies from the good studies because there's a lot of studies out there that, you know, just, just because someone wears a lab coat doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. Um, and so it's sorting out the good research from the, the, the inconsequential research and giving people really actionable advice, not just, oh, here's this study that showed this correlation, but okay, here's what you can do. And so everything that made it in the book uh, had to have this, this bar of not only being effective, right? It actually, I have to actually use it in my life and it works for me. It works for thousands of people I worked with over the years, but it also is backed by peer-reviewed studies. So there's over 30 pages of citations from peer-reviewed journals uh, that all these studies come from as well. But Primarily, I mean, to answer your question, it's it's about a problem that I'm having. I read every book on the topic, and I'll tell you that probably 99% of the time, uh, when I do that, problem solved, right? That, you know, most problems that that you have out there that you don't know how to solve, the first step is introspection, is to, is to reflect on, you know, many times we know the answers, we know what we need to do. Uh, then the next step, if we really don't know what to do, okay, we can search for it. We can look online. We can look at books. We can uh, ask uh, people who are knowledgeable in the field. And then if that still doesn't work, if we still haven't figured out how to solve the problem, then that's that's time when I at least dive into, okay, let me let me go deep here. Let me look at the studies. Let me look at the research. Let me look at um, this, this field that maybe hasn't been properly um, uh, cultivated. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the thing is like, you know, um, you are an accomplished uh, writer, author, professor, uh, entrepreneur, like people will say, okay, you know, you are already disciplined, you're already successful, you know, you, you nobody gets to that level of success without being uh, disciplined and to uh, distill it down for, uh, for, for everyone to follow. I mean, that's, uh, that's an achievement. So, I mean, without giving away the the crux of the books because we want people to read the book uh can you give us a little bit of um you know a, a preview of what you found in our uh, in this research and what are some of the challenges people face uh, while getting distracted sure but just to address that point though I, I want people to know that i didn't write this book because uh i mastered distraction i wrote this book because i needed to master distraction. I needed to overcome it. And in fact, I've always struggled with willpower and self-control. And, you know, I used to be clinically obese. Uh, and mm. so for me, even those words, willpower and self-control make the back of my neck, the hair on the back of my neck stand up because I remember hearing, you know, you're, you're, you know, my parents saying things like, okay, stop eating so much, have some self-control, have some willpower. And uh, that doesn't work. <laughs> willpower, we know from the psychology research, we're starting to find out the whole concept of willpower may be a myth. It's, it may not be real in the first place. And so there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of unknowns, frankly, in the psychology community around what works, what doesn't work, and how much of what people think is common uh, conventional wisdom turns out not only to be wrong, turns out to be actually harmful. Uh, for example, the to-do list. You know, we've all been told that we should run our life with a to-do list. That's what the productivity experts tell us to do. Yeah, yeah. Productivity, I, let me tell you, running your life on a to-do list is one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. And there wow. turns out to be much better ways of, of, of getting things done than just keeping to-do lists and running your life with a to-do list. We can talk about that in a minute, but let me answer your question around, you know, wh what did I learn here? What's the takeaway? And by the way, I'm happy to give as, as much information as away as, as possible in the time we have, even if people don't buy the book, I don't care. I just want this information to get out there because I really do think it can help people. 
And so the first place to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. What is the opposite of distraction? Mm -hmm. If you think to yourself, okay, what's the opposite of distraction? Most people will tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, but that's not exactly right. That the opposite of distraction is not focus. If you look at the etymology of the word, the, uh, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That both mm. words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both mm. words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So mm. traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you say you're going to do, things that you do with intent, things that help you move towards your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. That's traction. The opposite of traction is, of course, distraction. Distraction mm -hmm. is any action that pulls you further away from what you plan to do, further away from your values, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this is really important for two reasons. Number one, anything can become a distraction. Okay. So how many times have we sat at our desk in the morning and said, okay, I'm going to focus on that big project. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to procrastinate. Nothing's going to get in my way. Here I go. I'm going to get started right away, right now. But first, let me check some email. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let me just, yeah. uh, I've got those easy things to do on my to-do list. Let me just tick a couple of those off real quick, or let me just yeah. scroll the Slack channels just to see what's happening in the office. Mm -hmm. Right. And we justify that kind of stuff by saying, well, that's productive right? Isn't that productive? I'm not playing a video game. I'm not scrolling Facebook. Therefore, I'm not getting distracted. I have to check email sometime today. And what we don't realize is that that is actually the most dangerous form of distraction. The distraction that tricks you into prioritizing mm. the easy and the urgent at the expense of the important. So anything that takes you away from what you said you were going to do is a distraction. Anything, which is why the second point is so important. Anything can be traction. So I don't buy this ridiculous chicken little tech critic narrative that we hear so much today about how technology is melting your brain, technology is addicting you, technology is hijacking your mind. Rubbish. It is absolute ridiculous non-scientific BS. Because look, if you want to use these tools, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with using Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or any of these tools as long as you use it on your schedule not the tech companies, not somebody else's. So anything can be traction as long as that's what you plan to do with your time. The time you plan to waste is not wasted time. So anything can be traction. Anything can be distraction. Now we have, we have these two poles, right? We have to the right is traction, to the left is distraction. Now we have to ask ourselves what prompts us to traction or distraction, these two types of actions. Here we have what we call triggers. We have internal triggers and external triggers. Mm -hmm. External triggers, these are the usual suspects, the pings, the dings, the rings, everything in our outside environment that can lead us towards traction or distraction. There's a lot of things that we can do to do what I call hack back the external triggers, but we'll get to that in a minute. What turns out to be the number one source of distraction is actually not the external triggers. People think that distraction is all about, oh, my cell phone distracted me, my boss distracted me, my kids distracted me, stuff outside of us. No, the number one source of distraction, okay? The number one source, we just saw a study last week that was released that found that 90% of the time people check their phone, 90, 90% of the time that people check their phone is not because of an, any kind of external trigger. It's not the pings and dings. It's because mm -hmm. of the internal triggers. Yeah, an yeah, yeah. internal trigger 
is an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape from. Yeah. Boredom, loneliness, uncertainty, fatigue, stress, anxiety. This is why we turn to distraction. This is why we procrastinate. Procrastination, distraction, it's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't learned the tools to deal with discomfort in a way that leads us towards traction rather than distraction. So now we have our four points on our compass. The first step to becoming indistractable is to master those internal triggers. We have to deal with these uncomfortable emotional states because whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much food, too much Facebook, too much football, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. okay? Because mm -hmm. people always have been distracted from one thing or another. Yeah, yeah. So you have to deal with those internal triggers first. The second step is to make time for traction planning our day, deciding what it is we want to do with our time. Because here's the thing. If you don't plan your day, somebody's going to plan it for you. The yeah, media, yeah. the tech companies, mm -hmm. your kids, your boss, somebody's going to decide to tell you what to do with your time and your attention unless you decide in advance. So that's what making time for traction is all about. I show you about how to do that. Mm -hmm. The next step is to hack back the external triggers, right? How mm -hmm. can we take steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow by adjusting these external triggers? So much we can do. It's easy stuff. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with packs. So now we've completed the four points around the compass. To prevent distraction with packs, we make a pre-commitment. We make a promise to make sure that when uh, we are tempted by distraction, we have a firewall. We have the last line of defense to make sure we don't get distracted. And so those are the four big strategies. And strategies are more important than tactics. Remember, tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. So it's much more important than people, instead of remembering, oh, uh, turn off your notifications on your phone. Okay, that's kind of kindergarten stuff. Yeah. It's much more important to remember the strategies of master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. If yeah. you follow these four steps, you will be indistractable. Yeah. No, that, that's, uh, that's really well said. Let's take a quick break for an important message from the bootstrapping your dreams community. Get the support and insights you need for your business and life. Join our community, which is fueled by the same people who advise the world's top leaders and champions. Stay ahead of the curve. Join us now by navigating to bootstrapping.group. The way that you uh, describe the internal triggers, I think that is, uh, that is the key. Like, you know, whatever is going on inside us, uh, if you don't address it, as you said, like no matter what we do with the notifications and everything, um, that anxiety, that insecurity kicks in and we pick up the phone and say, how many likes I got on my post? Um, so so that's well said. Uh, now, uh, what were the results? Like, you know, you, you obviously did all this research, you adopted it, you went through with, uh, uh, with this, with the, with the thousands of people. Um, what kind of results did they achieve? What kind of uh, successes did they have? What kind of time did they save uh, using these techniques? Yeah, so so I've worked with uh, people now over the years using these techniques, and I've gone through many techniques that didn't work as well that I didn't include in the book. A lot of uh, mm -hmm. techniques that uh, we think are common knowledge that we think oh are make us more productive, and the more I dug into them, they don't work. Uh, and so I just uh, I I drew from decades of research that had already been done. Right. So this is this is very important. You know, we know that uh, in the psychology community right now, we have what's called the replication crisis, where a lot of studies that we thought were real turn out to not be so real. And so I wanted to do an exhaustive 
look through which studies hold up and which don't. We have what we call meta studies, which are basically studies of studies. And so I, wherever possible, I use those meta studies to show that, okay, this is, this study is really backed by some really good research. It's been replicated time and time again. That's good research versus, you know, some techniques that are pretty bogus. Let me just give you one example. Um, we all know, know in, in quotation marks, that willpower is a limited resource. Haven't we all heard this, that it's like a muscle, mm -hmm. it's like gas in a gas tank, that you run out of willpower, right? We've all heard mm -hmm. this before. Yeah, yeah. And this has a, a term in psychology. This is called ego depletion. And ego depletion says that we run out of willpower like we run out of gas in the gas tank. So even if you don't know the term ego depletion, uh, you probably have behaved in line with this idea. I used to do this all the time. I would come home from work and I'd say, oh, what a hard day. I've, I've, it's been so uh, so stressful. Uh, I have I have no more uh, capacity to make good decisions anymore, right? I have no more willpower, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm spent is what I used to say. Mm -hmm. Give me that pint of ice cream. I'm going to sit on the couch and watch Netflix for the next mm -hmm. three hours. And I would use that, that, that rationale of I am spent, okay? And even though I didn't know the term ego depletion, that's, that's what I was doing. And actually, this idea of ego depletion actually gained some credence. There, were, were, uh, there was one particular research that did research around this, uh, this idea of ego depletion. And he had studies that seemed to suggest that people do really run out of willpower like gas in a gas tank. Except, you know, as we do in the, in the social sciences, when a study sounds a little too good to be true, when it sounds a little bit too magical, we replicate the study, right? We don't take things on faith in science. We run the study again, and we see if we can get similar results. Well, it turns out the study could not replicate, that it's been done again and again, and it turns out that we don't find this, this notion of ego depletion when we control for different variables. It doesn't look like it really exists, except, except in one group of people. So there was a researcher by the name of Carol Dweck at Stanford uh, who wrote a fantastic book called Mindset. And she decided to test this theory of ego depletion. And she found that in fact, there were a group of people who really did experience ego depletion. They really did run out of willpower like someone would run out of gas in a gas tank. And those people and only those people were people who believed that willpower was a limited resource. Mm, I see, I see. The only see. people who really experienced it were the ones who believed it. And so this is why our self-image is so important, that if we believe that we are limited in one way or another, we will act according to those beliefs. And this is why I'm on this crusade to tell people that they are not getting addicted by technology, for God's sakes, right? It's not an addiction. It's a distraction. And that's a very big difference because when we call things an addiction and say it's hijacking our brain, that makes us think we're powerless, right? Because now there's a dealer, there's a pusher. Yeah. I can't do anything about it, right? And so what do people do when they feel like they're helpless? They do nothing. This is called yeah. learned helplessness. Yeah. And so that's why we need to understand that the way we talk to ourselves, the way we imagine and perceive our temperament around our limitations is incredibly important. And so I'm on this crusade to make sure that people know that they are much more powerful than these distractions. Certainly, they're more powerful than the tech companies. That's awesome. So it sounds like there is an element of personal development, right, built into you know increasing the productivity as well. Yeah, I think it's a huge part of it. I mean, I think that the first place to start is by asking ourselves, what can we personally do, as opposed to waiting for the tech companies to save us or you know the geniuses in government to save us? Why don't we do something about it ourselves?
Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, as we are going through this, uh, this combined experience of uh, lockdowns and pandemic and everything, how do you think uh, that, uh, you know, environment working from home and um, I mean, the way that we do business, the, the way that we, you know, sort of uh, interact with each other has completely changed. So what, what in your opinion um, is going to happen with the, with the level of, um, you know, productivity with the level of distraction that people experience in, in these changing environments? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, when I wrote the book uh, over the past five years, I thought the world was a pretty distracting place before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the book came out in uh, late 2019. And then, of course, 2020 happened with the pandemic and uh, everything that's happening in politics. And clearly the world all of a sudden became even more distracting, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, I said to my wife the other day, I said, I am so glad I wrote this book when I did because I don't know if I could get through this. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is a very <laughs> distracting time because if I didn't have the tools to deal with all the things that are in the news, all the, the stressors, if we go back to those internal triggers, you know, all of a sudden there are more things to worry about right? Yeah, uh, is yeah. my family safe? Are they healthy? Are they going to get Corona? I mean, am I going to lose my job? How do I work from home? How do I homeschool? There's so many new questions now that mm -hmm. raise the anxiety and fear level. And of course, the more internal triggers we have, if we are not armed to deal with that internal, with those internal triggers, if we don't know how to master that discomfort, we're going to give in. And this is what you see people doing. So some people have become more productive during the pandemic. Some people have become a lot less productive because they're so anxious and stressed and worried and they don't know how to deal with that discomfort. So what do they do? They watch too much news. They drink too much booze. They eat too much food. They watch, you know, they are on Facebook too much. They do these things because they are looking to escape psychological discomfort. And that's very understandable. That's very human. It's also something that we have to train ourselves to learn to overcome. Um, so that's one thing that's changed. The second thing that I think is, is a major change is that uh, when we think back to making time for traction, you know, because when we used to go to a traditional workplace environment, we would, you know, uh, get our kids ready in the morning, drive them to school, uh, have our meetings, have lunch with a colleague. We had a schedule, we had a routine uh, that gave structure to our lives. And for many people, because they don't have that structure anymore, because they're just working from home and days uh, kind of blend into each other, that's become very difficult. In fact, uh, I just saw the other day that Google, I don't know if you saw this, they have recorded a record number of people searching for the term, the search term, you know, the keyword, what day is it? <laughs> like, like you look at the graph since the pandemic, like it's gone like this, you know, like it's gone exponential where people are, they can't remember what day of the week it is, yeah, right? Because they don't have that structure in their day. And so that's, that's become a big challenge. The good news is we don't have to have a structure imposed on us. We don't have to yeah. go to the office to know what to do with our time. This is what I preach in Indistractable. It's about making time for traction that you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you have lots of blank white space in your calendar, everything's a distraction, yeah, right? Yeah, so this yeah. is why it's so important to know what we want to do with our time. You know, there's a reason we use the same terminology when it comes to our attention as it comes to our money, right? We pay attention. We spend time just like we pay and spend money. Yeah, and yet with our attention, we just give it to everybody. 
right? Yeah. You, you, you want some of my time and attention? Sure, here, take it. We, it's yeah. like you know, standing on the corner and just giving people money. We don't do that. We are judicious about how we spend our money, and we need to be judicious about how we spend our time and attention. And so I think those two factors of increased internal triggers in the world today, less structure uh, in terms of working from home as opposed to working in office has made things pretty hairy <laughs> that yeah. I think if you're not armed uh, to deal with distraction, it's very likely that you will succumb to more of it. So it seems so like, it seems uh, like uh, you know the, uh, you know the book is even more important um, right now for people to to read and incorporate into their lives um, because of what they are going through right now. And so, um, how how should one go about it? Like, should they get your uh, book Habit first, and then go to Indistractable, or Indistractable, and then go to Habit? How what is the sequence oh, of? Hooked, it? you mean? Uh, oh yeah, sorry, hooked, hooked. So yeah. So my, yeah. my first book was about how to build habit forming products, yeah. about how to use yeah. technology to improve people's lives by building healthy habits. So that book came out about six years ago, and uh, it's been used in every conceivable industry from healthcare to education uh, to help people build good habits in their lives through technology. And that's really a book for product makers. So if you are an entrepreneur, if you have a business then you're, and you're looking to change consumer behavior uh, to create habits, to get people to use your product because they want to, not because they have to, then that would be the book for you about how to build habit-forming products. Indistractable is for everyone. So whether you're an entrepreneur or not, it doesn't really matter. If you struggle to do what you say you're going to do, uh, if you don't exercise when you say you will, if you don't eat right despite knowing you should, if you have uh, trouble uh, getting your work done, if it seems like your to-do list goes on and on, you never finish everything you say you're going to do, uh, those are all reasons why you might want to check out Indistractable. Awesome. But you don't have to read so, one or the other. You can, I mean, you don't have to read both. <laughs> you can read one or the yeah. other. No, I asked a question to, to, to ask this follow-up question is about entrepreneurship. Like, um, you know, as we are going through this, uh, these uh, huge shifts, uh, you know, um, like you can imagine uh, certain sectors of economy will be affected to a great deal, like uh, commercial real estate being one, airlines being another one, uh, theaters, uh, you know, wherever there's a, you know, congregation of people, those businesses, I think, will go under a huge change. So what do you think will happen? Uh, you know, obviously, you have studied human behavior, human psychology to a, a great uh, extent. Uh, in your view, how do you think things will unfold people do you think people will gravitate towards more entrepreneurship rather than regular work from home jobs or uh, what are what are the kind of shifts do you foresee uh, as we go through this experience you know i'm 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 pretty optimistic i think um it, it really depends on whether this is a long-term change or a short-term change. If it's, you know, if, if, if uh, Corona drags on through 2021, 2022, uh, or God forbid, if we get hit with another pandemic, you know, now it's the influenza versus a coronavirus, God forbid that should happen. But if it becomes a regular occurrence, then I think we might see some, some, uh, uh, some real structural changes, but it looks to me like it's going to be a bounce back. Uh, if it's real, if what we're hearing in the news, and this isn't any special information, I guess we're all hearing the same thing, but if it becomes the case that, hey, you know what? Unbelievable, we, we created a vaccine uh, in record time, and now we can inoculate the population so that Corona is a thing of the past, or that COVID is a thing of the past, um, uh, then I think we'll, we'll return back to pretty much normal uh, with the with the caveat that we all did this experiment for a year 
of what is it like to work from home? What is it like to uh, uh, to use, frankly, these amazing technologies that we used? I mean, can you imagine <clears throat> having tried to go through this pandemic without these tools, without social media, without Zoom, without uh, you know these amazing technologies? Can you yeah, imagine exactly. if, the, if COVID had struck in 1992? <laughs> this would be terrible. <laughs> this would be a hundred yeah. times worse. So yeah, thank yeah. goodness we have these tools to connect us during this time of, of isolation. Uh, I think it's done immeasurable good for the world that we don't give enough credit for, frankly. Um, so I, I think it's actually net a, a very, very good thing. I think it's it's um, the 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 price of uh, having to be physically present uh, just went down substantially, right? I mean, I would, and I, I I mean, I saw this firsthand. You know, I would fly in to meetings across the country, sometimes across the world, for a day, right? <laughs> right? Like. I'm pretty sure those like now that we've all seen how wonderful these technologies can be, I'm hopeful that those days are over that, you know, we, we really think about to ourselves, wait, is it worth the, not only the, the, the social distancing costs, but also the environmental costs? Like, really, do I really need to get on a plane and fly across the world for, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours for a quick meeting and a handshake? Like we can do that yeah. stuff online. And so I think in many ways it's, it's, uh, it's pushed people to try these, these new technologies that I think long-term will benefit us and create tons of new opportunities, I think, for entrepreneurs out there. For sure. For sure. And um, let's, uh, you know, one of the last questions, we started off talking about the relationship and we started talking about your daughter. Um, so how is, uh, how is the uh, this socially distant economy and the distractions, how is this affecting relationship? And, and once we incorporate the, the techniques that you're sharing, how does it help human relationships? Because productivity in work is one thing, but you know we also get distracted while maintaining yeah. these important relationships. Yeah. So half of the book is about things that you can do personally, about how you can become indistractable through these four big strategies we talked about earlier. The other half of the book recognizes that we don't live in isolation, that our environments shape our behaviors and our relationships can shape our behaviors. So there, the, the second half of the book is about how to raise indistractable kids, wow, how okay. to have an indistractable workplace, and finally, how to have indistractable relationships. And so this is where I talk about uh, friendships and romantic relationships, about how important it is to be fully present. And I'll tell you personally, I mean, this came from a, a personal struggle that, um, you know, my wife and I have been married for almost 20 years. It's crazy wow. to say, but true, next year, <laughs> 20 years. And, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll get a little personal here that a few years ago, we really struggled in our sex life, to be honest, because we would go to bed every night and instead of cuddling each other, she would be on her phone and I would be fondling my iPad. And we went to bed later and later and we didn't invest in our relationship by spending time together as a couple. Mm -hmm. And it was, we, you know, our first reaction was to blame the technology. Oh, it's mm -hmm. the stupid social media companies doing yeah, it to yeah. us. But no, I wanted that excuse to be true, but it wasn't true. It was me. I was doing it to myself. And that's where we took out this indistractable model as I was working on it. And we started implementing various techniques from it to make sure that we could uh, regain uh, that lost time and to invest in our relationship. It's part of our values to invest in, in, in uh, this loving relationship with each other. And so one of the techniques that we found was most helpful was that fourth step of preventing distraction with a pact. And so there's a kind of pact that I call an effort pact which is where we take a step today to prevent getting distracted by, uh, by, by something tomorrow by, uh, by making that behavior difficult to do. So here's what we did. I went to the hardware store and I bought ourselves a $10 outlet timer. Now this outlet timer, whatever you plug into it will turn on or off at any time of day or night, 
based on the time you set on it, right? Mm -hmm. So in my household, every night at 10 p.m., my internet router shuts off automatically <laughs> every night. Nice, nice, so nice. what now? Could I turn it back on? Of course I could. I could go underneath my desk and I could pull out the outlet. I could put it back in, but that would take work, right? That takes yeah. effort. And that bit of friction, that bit of effort to not do something I don't want to do. That's, that's part of, you know, I said my, that I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to yeah. be online past 10 o'clock. Well, that decision is automatically made for me. Now the default becomes that, that I don't get distracted because the internet's off. And to change the default, I have to put effort into it. So I made this effort yeah. packed. And that's just one of dozens of different techniques in the book. But I think that's a good example of how we can take action today to prevent yeah. getting distracted tomorrow, particularly that's when awesome. it comes to our relationships. That's a great example. A great Thank example. you so much. So there sure. you go, guys. If somebody wants to increase their productivity and save their marriage, this is the book to read. So <laughs> thanks a lot uh, for being with us. Uh, as I said, you know, this has... Uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for, for doing what you do. You know, it's, uh, it's really hard to find uh, really good books which are based on solid research. And, and the way that you do it is just admirable. Like, you know, oh, thank you, so much. you, you really um, go out of the way and give value in the book. So thank you so much for doing that. And um, now, where can people find you? Where can they find the book? And how can they connect if they want to connect with you? Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. So my uh, website is nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name. So N-I-R and far.com. And there's actually a free 80-page workbook that we couldn't fit into the final edition of Indistractable. So that's yours for free. Anyone can go get it uh, at nearandfar.com. And the book itself, if you're interested, is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And that's available wherever books are sold. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll put those links in the show notes. And uh... I hope to have you uh, back here soon. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks. I appreciate it. That's all for now. Until next time. If you want to realize your full potential, I invite you to join our community. We support and help each other out because no one has to do it alone. Join us today by navigating to bootstrapping.group. The community is free to join. No strings attached except for one. You have to take action. So if you are an action taker, we want to talk to you. Join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group. If you want more insightful interviews with industry leaders, then check out the other videos we have picked for you right here. And subscribe now to get our new content.